Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Story Smack. This is Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A.B. Sigler, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler. And while I did not set a record for stealing bases, once in Pee Wee, I stole a base, fell halfway to second, but they missed the throw and they stole the base anyways. And you stole my heart. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Also, New York Times bestseller. I don't know if I mentioned that, but we got to get that out of there. Good. Today, we are talking about the movie 42, the 2013 Jackie Robinson biopic starring Chadwick Boseman, among others. And in 1947, Jackie Robinson became the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball in the modern era when he, he was signed by the Brooklyn Dodgers and he faces considerable racism in the process. Uh, and also, by the way, each time we do a Story Smack Live, we drink, uh, we were gifted uh, a subscription to Shaker and Spoon, which is a, a drink subscription a monthly box where you get everything you need to make, I think it's 12 drinks, it's, it's four drinks twice a piece, or three drinks, I don't know, whatever it is, it's 12 drinks, I think it's three. And, uh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bill O'Connor, um, yo, yo to you too. Everybody who's come in recently, we didn't get a chance to shout out to, welcome Welcome to our little afternoon movie chat session. Boz wants us to, uh, can we briefly explain the complicated rules about baseball? Sure. Let me finish my drink, though. Oh. Uh, so we, this is called a time lapse, and it's from Shaker and Spoon, and it's, uh, this month was their, their tequila box. Next month will be their Japanese whiskey box. We're very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, that so sounds great. If you guys are not too um, into cocktails, this is super fun, just because you learn a whole bunch of things as you go, and it's they give you everything you need to make the, the best drinks and the fun drinks. We are not making these for Singler in Place, because you mm-hmm. have to have the subscription box so that to do is, it, but they're lovely. So would this be like the uh, coloring book of drinks? Yeah, it, color it, it's sort lines? of a paint-by-numbers for drinks. It That's really is. It's like really, really neat. Numbers. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to it. I don't think we can actually explain all the complicated <sighs> rules about baseball. Buzz, I can explain it one way. Baseball is not quite as complicated as cricket. There you go. <laughs> but the, ba- the, the basics are uh, each team has has uh, three outs to try and get around the, the diamond kind of thing. And uh, I'm, hiding, yeah. I, I'm hiding my face because this is what I found when I started writing the rookie. I'm like, oh, football's, okay, it's yeah. not that complicated. I'll be able to explain the rules to everybody. It'll be simple. And I found out when you try and actually say the rules out loud, it, that's why there are books. That's why there are rule books because it takes a book for the whole set of rules. And Mario does have another good hint, which is hitting uh, the ball with the bat is good. Hitting people with the ball or the bat is bad, and that is true. Boz, I can explain this very succinctly. It's a simple game. You throw the ball. You hit the ball. You catch the ball. You also run. What? You also run. Yes. You have not seen enough of Bull Durham, apparently. 
Well, it's been probably 20 years. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Whenever I take on another human being's voice. I mean, but that's literally all the time. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I was going to say, the only time I take on another human being's voice when I'm doing a movie line, that's not true. There are many, 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 I mean, many people living inside my head. Technically speaking, that may be true, but they're all those movie characters oh, yeah. out all the time. It might be you're doing a movie character, but that's still all the time. And I may have seen a different set of movies than mm-hmm. A's. I won't say I've seen more movies. A's a big movie has probably seen way more movies than I have, but the movies that I have where the dialogue is embedded in my brain, maybe she has not seen all of those 30 or 40 times like my friends right, and, and I, I have. I haven't memorized the dialogue too well. Uh, okay. And now let's see. We have some information on the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, 42 is theatrical released in the United States on April 12, 2013, as I mentioned. Grossed $97 million. Mm-hmm. On a $40 million budget, the film received generally positive reviews from critics who praised the performance of Bozeman and Ford and the film's historical accuracy. Mm-hmm. And the title of the film is, of course, in reference to Robinson's jersey number, which was uh, the only one retired uh, across all Major League Baseball teams. Wow. Um, I, I think we're going to get to it a little bit later. Uh, you meant, I think there's another one you mentioned. Wayne Gretzky, I think his number is yeah, retired Yeah, Wayne Gretzky's hockey. retired in hockey. Um we may have that down here or not. Well, right, we're going to get into right away this absolutely delightful cast, starting out with none other than the man himself, Mr. Jackie Robinson. Now, we're going to talk a little bit later about the influence this man in this situation has on the GFL, the Galactic Football League series, which many of you have read. If you have not, it's spectacular. It's wonderful. Many people have told me it is the best space football book ever written. Um and we will get into that. But this man, what this man went through and the opportunity that this when he was a young man, the opportunity this young man had to to change the world uh, and do something that made things better for an enormous amount of people. It usually when you talk about movies, it's hyperbole. This mm-hmm. was a big this mm-hmm. is a big deal. This changed the world. This changed everything. It changed right. everything. And it's interesting because doing some reading, and I'll, I will be perfectly honest, I'm not super duper familiar with the Jackie Robinson life story, but um, this particular story seems to be fairly historically accurate to um, Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey's relationship. Branch Rickey, the owner, owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, yep. um, <clears throat> and Branch Rickey, or sorry, Branch Rickey ap- ac- actively chose to disrupt the whites only field and. Uh, found that he'd have to do that um, sort of by making Jackie Robinson agree not to get angry in public for a whole year. that was a huge part of the deal. Which everyone knew also, which made it that much easier, that much easier to get away with being terrible to a person face-to-face to to another human being and seeing them as not able to fight back and not a human being. I think, I just don't, I can't even imagine the fortitude it would take for a person to do that. One has to wonder if if he sort of if Jackie Robinson sort of understood his play, of course he wanted to play ball. And just like in the rook, just like in the rookie, Quentin Barnes, it's a bit flipped in the rookie. Quentin Barnes starts out as a product of his environment, an extremely, extremely racist, speciesist individual. But he wants to be the best that's ever been. He wants to play the game at the highest levels against the best competition. To do that, he has to reverse Jackie Robinson. He has to put down all of his racism, tuck it away somewhere so he can go play in the bigs and show the whole galaxy that he's the best. Jackie Robinson clearly wanted to play at the highest levels and get paid, too. I mean. Sure. I was sure, but he had a wife, kids. Uh, but, you know, he had to 
he had the opposite. He knew the racism was coming, knew he was going to have all kinds of crap thrown at him. Crap was thrown at him, literally. He got hit in the head nine times as a rookie. Um, but he had to know that going in and know mm-hmm. this was this was a chance to make a huge difference for a lot, not just himself, but for a lot of other people. Yeah, and recently we've been talking quite a lot about the about this specific thing in the United States and around the world, this specific, into this idea that... Um, Jackie Robinson had to be perfect. He had to had never to fight back. He yep. had to not have a black mark on his record. He 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 had to do that or else instead of him being unfairly victimized and oppressed, he would just be, of course, he's a rabble rouser. Of course, he can't be trusted to be yeah, a gentleman. Exactly. Of course, no matter what. And he faced just horrible, horrible stuff. What I find fascinating is this is not in the movie. It's not referenced in the movie, but he um, he. This part is he he finds out that he's being auditioned or trying out for the the Montreal, which is the farm team, not auditioning. Sorry. Go ahead. That's fair. You get to laugh at that. Uh, Which is the farm team for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, And uh, and he calls his, I guess, fiance or his girlfriend back in Pasadena Mm -hmm. and and asks her, doesn't tell her what happened, just says something big happened that this is in the movie. And will will she marry him? That woman, uh, Rachel Robinson, turned out to be an extraordinary. It is still to this day an extraordinary woman. Not yeah. only after yeah. he died did he, she form the Jackie Robinson Foundation. She went to Yale and got a master's degree in public health. I think public health. But okay. she's an enormously powerful, productive person. They stayed married to each other until Jackie oh, Robinson died. They love had three, three children, one of whom had a lot of um, struggles and died in a car accident quite young. Um, in his 20s, in his mid-20s, and he had struggles with drugs. And then the Robinsons, the parents, Rachel and, and Jackie, in the, the end, turned out to be the end few last few years of Jackie's life, mm-hmm. super invested in that public health message that drugs are bad, which if you think about it, in the 50s and the 60s in a black community is probably was probably a rare, any community was probably a rare thing. And uh, I think that that struggle in the late 60s was probably really big for him, too. And he did that. They both did that with the same charming grace. They did everything else. Yeah. I mean, uh, amazing people with amazing levels of endurance and tolerance and internal fortitude. And we're big fans. Uh, we go back to the actors. This is Mr. Robinson. This, yes, he was in the army. And there are some slight misperceptions in the movie that we will get to at the end of this but yes he he was honorably discharged in the end honorably discharged from the united states military so we have military no combat experience but he was in the army in world war ii um and this is i believe this is we love it too sandy this is as far as I can tell, the last picture of the gentleman, Mr. Mm-hmm. Robinson, alive before his health deteriorated. So um, it's kind of <laughs> it's shocking as people get older, their faces change. You're like, not that much. Not that much. <laughs> it's not for real him. cool. Not for and now we get into the cast of this amazing, wonderful, fun movie. I have this great thing from, oh gosh, let me oh, make sure I get credit. This is uh, from the site History versus Hollywood. Wonderful site. But we get to see the actor with some information on the actor up against the real person, uh, up against as if this is a battle. They're going to duke it out. <laughs> but here we are. I'm interested. Uh, Jackie Roosevelt Robinson was born in 1919 in. What I believe is probably Cairo, uh, Georgia, USA. Uh, it's in, not Cairo. No, well, I don't know. It might be, but I went to school in Southeast Missouri. 
Okay. And uh, so in southeast Missouri and southern Illinois, um, which border each other, there are quite a lot of tiny little towns that you would think were were called that were, were spoken in the same way as their famous famous counterparts. But that is not true. Okay. Like, um, oh god, it just slipped my mind. There's there we one. Go. That's um, uh, oh, I'm gonna think of it. But it's, just it's, blurt it's, it's, it there's out. A K- I think there's a K- there's a Cairo. There's another one that are totally not said like the famous names are. Okay. There's also a, there's also Ktel, Kentucky, where they have more records per capita than any other city. Little known fact. Little known fact. Back you to the actress. Problem. <laughs> you see my problem trying to tell whether or not he's he's spouting the truth. And of course, uh, Jackie Robinson, born 1919, passed away in 1972 in Stamford, Connecticut, of a heart attack. Moving on. Oh, my goodness. This also very, very, very important. Per- Look at the two of them. Look at what Harrison Ford. Granted, he just did his hair right, put on the bow tie and glasses. Still, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Yeah, what's interesting is I think Brand Tricky looks a lot more, looks, physically looks a lot more like uh, John Goodman. He does. he does. John Goodman probably would have killed that role, actually. Yeah, I mean, Harrison Ford did a great job. Oh, Harrison Ford yeah. did a great job. And this, Branch Rickey, as important as Jackie Robinson is, Branch Rickey is equally as important in the scope of this because there were an enormous, the majority of owners and coaches in Major League Baseball and other sports were 100% fully aware of the athletic talent of the young men who were not who were denied an opportunity to compete and because of ideological beliefs, they just didn't invite them. And you can bet that it's shown a little bit in the movie. Branch Rickey took a lot of flack for his decision, an enormous amount of flack, put his franchise at risk to make this happen. Granted the amount of difficulties he went through as a rich dude back then were nowhere near the same as Jackie Robinson went through, but it was still a huge decision. It and was the, a huge yeah, thing. And there's a, it's not quite a branch Ricky decision, but there's a moment that sort of points that out in the movie, which is, is awesome. Um, one of the players is from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, and they're going to go to a Kentucky game and it's really close to his hometown. And he got a letter saying like, it would be hard for us to see a son of the con- Confederacy on the same field as a black man and he brought it to Branch Rickey. He brought the letter saying like, I don't know what to do about this. This is my hometown. What are we going to do? Right. Oh, spoiler alert also. Yeah, tons um, of spoiler alerts, you guys. Um, and all that Branch Rickey did was take out three manila folders from a, from a, um, a stacking file folder and uh, they were, you know, full two, three inches thick and they were all letters with death threats to um, Jackie Robinson and his family and his newborn son and everything else. And it changed Pee Wee quite a lot, actually. And death threats um, are nothing new. Now people can send them via text message, email or in a forum post. Back then, you actually had to write the death threat and put it in an envelope and put a stamp on it and then take it to the mailbox. So, I mean, the death threats then were bad. Well, and also, (laughs) yeah. And also think about the hubris. That exists oh, in like terrible. you taking a pen to paper and saying my actual life is my actual life is more important than uh, my comfort in my actual life is more important than your actual life. Yeah. Well, and, and that that only exists in an environment where it can exist. And that's shocking when you think about it. Uh, we have someone watching from let's see. Mr. Hugglestone is watching this from the waiting area at the emergency oh, no. vet. So everyone. On Facebook, if you could throw a quick comment wishing uh, James luck with whatever's going on at the vet. Good luck with you and your buddy. We would send send that man send that man and that buddy some positive positive uh, vibes. Getting back to the cast of this movie. Oh, Bill O'Connor! It is Cairo, Illinois. Yeah, it is Cairo, Cairo, Illinois, and Cairo, Georgia. Yeah. 
Now we go to Nicole Beher. And uh, Julia, Juilliard trained actor, mm-hmm. and she's in a, been a bunch of things, hasn't she? Yeah, she's done. Uh, you know, she was in Jacob's Ladder, and she must have been quite, quite young in J- Jacob's wait, Ladder. Wait, wait, wait. That's she was in the movie Jacob's Ladder. She was in the movie. Do you want to see Ladder. my Jacob's Ladder impression? I guess so. But do we? Can we put this on the big screen? Yeah, because I think everybody needs to see it. Here we go. You can narrate this. I have to get up close to the camera. Oh Lord, I'm a little bit afraid of this. As I mentioned, there are a lot of replays of movies in. Oh, oh no, don't knock over your drink. <laughs> That is not at all a bad Jacob's Ladder impression. <laughs> now I have a headache, and I do it you, for you people. Also, that looks a little bit like a uh, Blair Witch impression. I'm not going to lie. Uh, two movies that uh, Jacob's Ladder messes messes me up. We should do one on that someday. It's it's uh, it's pretty. We were talking about uh, Miss Beher. Yeah, so she's a Julia trained, Juilliard trained actor. She was in Jacob's Ladder as a, at what had to be young. Um, she's done quite a lot of TV. She's transitioned after 42 into doing more movies. A lot of them are not movies that have come out yet or that we have seen, but you will have seen her in The Good Wife. You will have seen her uh, in Law and Order, in Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Bones. She's been in a ton of TV, and now she's breaking off, or jumping off into <laughs> the uh, to the to the major motion picture world, which is great. She was. This was her break, though, right? This is. I think we're going to get into that a little bit later. Uh, Then we also had Andre Holland as Mr. Wendell Smith, uh, as a former sports writer with a degree in journalism for the sports myself. Much, much respect to uh, Mr. Wendell Smith. We have some details about him coming up at the end of the show. We have Lucas Black, and if he looks familiar, that could be because you uh, watch NCIS New Orleans or. One of the only movies in the Fast and Furious franchise that did not star Paul Walker and Vin Diesel. He was in Tokyo Drift. I like it. I yeah. like it. I don't remember him in Tokyo Drift. I did love him he in this role. He was the lead. That's the best part. Yeah, I don't remember him in it. I don't. <laughs> I know. He's, a, he's such a... He's, he's mercurial. He's such a, dead, a deadpan, uh, low-in-the-trenches actor, like in-the-groove actor. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't... He plays the part. He doesn't draw a lot of attention to himself. It's not like you watch, oh, that's Harrison Ford trying to do an impression of that guy. Mm-hmm. It's like you, Lucas Black is is transparent. There are so many lovely actors like that. I think Jason Siegel spent a lot of time doing that, just blending into whatever the role was. Uh-huh. You see that a lot. The guy who played um, uh, Sean on The Good Place, whose name I, Matt something, I can't remember his last name right now. Okay. You've seen him 10,000 times, and he just blends into the role, as, as and he's almost always some kind of authoritative role. Mm-hmm. And uh, quiet and understated, and just does a great job. But I love that because I didn't know that that Lucas Black was in in the past. <laughs> <laughs> and see? now we now we get into two of my personal two of my personal wait uh, two of my personal favorite actors mm, uh, for sure. Everybody has their actors that they see in a, in a thing, and like I love that human. This is one of mine, Christopher Maloney. Now, I appreciate Christopher Maloney, who played Leo DeRocher, the manager of the Dodgers. I appreciate him for his work in CSI. He is an intense physical physical presence. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And if you were being interrogated by this man, you would be coughing up secrets left and right. Now, However, yes? That said, yeah. tell me another role that he's, he's been in. He's in the show Happy, which is... One of my favorite, favorite shows of all time. Plus, there's a scene in Happy that um, is the only time I've ever seen it captured what's going on in my head almost all the time. Oh, my. I I had to rewind it a couple times for my wife here because I'm like, yeah, this is what what my head is like 
24-7. It's it's this right here. So maybe we'll play that on a future uh, uh, future episode of Sigler in Before Place. Before you move forward, Anchor okay. Pete, thank you for joining us live. It's so nice to see you oh, out there. Oh, Anchor Pete, welcome, welcome. And then one of my other favorite actors, a, a man with incredible... Wait, do I have the right... I don't have the right... Yes, yeah, a man do. with incredible, incredible timing, incredible vocal control, facial control. Oops, sorry. We're going to... this. I like John Tudyk. We'll get to the other guy in a minute, but this, Alan, why, why, why'd you have to break my heart like this, Alan? I love this though. Okay. So spoiler alert, Alan Tudyk plays Ben Chapman. Ben Chapman, um, made a career choice, uh, to, to any time that Jackie Robinson was on the field with his, uh, pirates, mm-hmm. he got, in, in, it, it's absolutely difficult to watch. When we first mentioned that we were going to watch this, it was during a, uh, a Sigler in Place a couple of weeks ago. And Scott's good friend, our good friend, uh, Rob Otto, said, like, just so you know, you're going to hate Alan Tudyk. <laughs> that like, is the comment he added. Because I was like, ooh, Alan Tudyk's in it. And he was like, yeah, you're going to hate, Al- hate Alan Tudyk. And I thought, I said, you're so full of shit. I'll use the word. Like, you, he is he is a beloved. He's one of those guys, like, beloved actor, Alan Tudyk. And but like, we're not, he wasn't, Rob wasn't wrong. Because we went into this movie already knowing that we weren't going to like Alan Tudyk. And it was difficult to watch. <laughs> So bad. And so bad that I had that I had Scott pause the movie and I looked up Ben Chapman to see if this was some sort of a caricature or some kind of something or who knows what. Yeah. And the reality is that Ben Chapman, um, there's this lovely interview. There's a couple of them, but the really lovely one in the Atlantic um, mm-hmm. that you can look up if you look up uh, Ben Chapman, Jackie Robinson. An Atlantic article will come up about somebody who, in his later life, interviewed Ben Chapman, and. Uh, his entire career, Ben Chapman insisted that this was just how ball players yeah. played ball. Like you, you, know, you yeah. It's, and I'm not going to say all the other. I throw slurs, racial epithets at Italians. I throw racial epithets at Jews. Yeah. This, I was just making him feel welcome. That's I was, what we I was all welcoming do. Him, him and to you know, community. DiMaggio is better at just accepting the racial slurs at the Italians, <laughs> and you know, the Jews are just better at accepting. And he did that quite a lot. But as it turned so out, that I know. But it's 1947, and we have you know, we're still yeah, getting through world, it. The only world. way you do it is to go through it and get better, right? And we're still doing that, but. Actually, there are consequences, which you may or may not have been thinking. Uh, you know, I I would I I was surprised to find out that uh, Ben Chapman lost his job as the, Philly, uh, the as the Pirates manager the following year or for the following season, and never managed in the majors again. He had yeah. one more season working with Cincinnati, and, but uh, not as a head coach. And he had a Hall of Fame pedigree. He played in World Series. He yep. he led the league in stolen bases like four years in a row. He was a he was a player. He was a baller. Right. He had a great batting average. He had all sorts of stuff. It's an interesting thing because the Atlantic article, which I'm directing you guys to, we're not obviously linking here, but you can find it by searching uh, Ben Chapman, Jackie Robinson, um, is lovely because that guy is uh, lives in Ben Chapman's town and Ben Chapman's older. And and throughout his career, he would, or throughout his retirement, he would reach out to reporters to try and get essentially unblacklisted and mm-hmm. so that he could go to Cooperstown. And the article is lovely, a little spoiler for that, because the guy is like, I totally see what's happening here. And I'm not saying it's undeserved because he was, it was late in his life before Ben Chapman kind of realized that sports are for everybody, you know, but I think he did. And so it's interesting because the author of that article is sort of saying, I think he had redemptive moments. I think he grew up finally in his very later years before he died. 
But I also think that the adjudication that he's not eligible for Cooperstown is correct. Yeah. And that's such a hard thing because this is a thing that we as humans have a really hard time doing, like accepting that we were wrong and we can change and we still have to be those people. We have to live through it and do that kind of thing. Remember, kids, the Internet is forever, even before there was an Internet. Yeah, it's one of the things that I'm so happy and, uh, about is that nobody can see my high, my grade school photos <laughs> no, <dear>. online. <laughs> I would like to point out this is one of my favorite pictures. Right here we go. This is the real picture. It may look a lot like the movie. I had to do a triple take to make sure that was not Alan Tudyk. Uh, and there is the picture that the movie made famous where following the Philadelphia Phillies Brooklyn Dodgers game after Chapman was uh, behaving in a way that was no longer conducive to the brand that was Major League Baseball, he was uh, he was forced to apologize and get a public picture. Uh, and it's this this picture, of course, is also the best. Clearly, the man on the right is not happy, and clearly, the man on the left is saying, "Well, this might not last forever, but this moment is pretty goddamn good." Yeah, and you know, in the, and I I don't know how how true to life the scene right before this is, but. Um, Somebody from the front office, somebody yep. from Branch's office, Branch Ricky's office comes down and says to Jackie, like, Ben Chapman wants to get a photo op with you. He wants to apologize. And 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 uh, Jackie Robinson says he doesn't. He doesn't. And it's not sincere. And the That's guy the from the front office is all like, yeah, Mr. Ricky knows it's not sincere, but you should do it anyway. And so I love this because if it's true and I, and in the movie, it's it's very powerful. I don't know if it's true to life, but that does look like they're on the field. Yeah. Um, that Jackie Robinson says, sure, I'll do it, but it has to be on the field. They're on the field. That's also um, been photo doctored a lot to cut out the background to emphasize exactly, what's yeah. going on. But he says, okay, I'll do it, but I have to do it on the field where anybody can watch. It was and, one of the best and parts then of the movie. He, and then Jackie picks up, like, when it finally, like, he, like, the reporters or whatever are saying, oh, you want to shake hands or whatever? Jackie picks up the bat and says, this way you don't have to touch me. Yeah. Which I think is such a, I mean... It would be more powerful if this was a thing that would sound absurd in 2020. <laughs> but it was a, it, it, a man who's already showing extraordinary amounts of grace. Mm-hmm. Yet another moment of grace to be like, clearly, even from the looks on their face in this picture, Jackie Robinson has won this battle. Yeah. Hands down. Yeah. It would be nice Chapman if he has has lost this battle by 2020. <laughs> he's lost this battle, hands down. Yeah. And still, even at this moment, where I would have been rubbing it in his face, uh, he, was a, he was a graceful guy. So. Yeah. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. 
One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. And then, of course, one of my favorite actors, John C. McGinley. John C. McGinley, born August 3rd, 1959, who played the part of Red Barber, who was well known for his red hair and his comb over at times, although sometimes it was as curly as a cat's butt after it has eaten hot peppers. A well-known fact about Red Barber, he was only four foot two, and people say he was shorter than a New York minute, and yet he still managed to come on and do his own business. Sometimes that business was a number one or a number two, or both of them together, as we call it the trifecta, the triple, the three-peat. <laughs> this is a great, great <laughs> representation of John C. McGinley representing Red Barber in the booth. I will also say this. so good. So good. This Okay, this movie is freaking fantastic, you guys. It's a great movie. It's hard to watch. It's a great movie to watch this particular summer as we go into what might may or may not be the World Series, you know, kind of time. Uh-huh. Uh, it's hard to watch. What was easy to watch is Scott <laughs> taking the win in watching uh, John McGinley, uh, John C. McGinley, uh, oh the Red Barber. He laughed oh so hard. It was great. I will say, I think there's a trifecta of actors that you that you look, look, look at the camera, that you like look like this about. <laughs> definitely John, uh, Christopher Maloney. Definitely yeah. John C. McGinley. Yeah. There's one more. Who is it? Uh, okay. Good. I don't know how to guess or make you guess. There's one guy I can think of. Go ahead. Charlie Day? Oh my god, Charlie Day. <laughs> Charlie Day. Charlie Day is uh Charlie Day's in my Charlie Day is a guy you stop to watch. You know that phrase doing. you know that phrase that uh that married couples and committed couples have like someone being in your five? Uh, which means, okay, I do not want to bang Charlie Day. It's not what I'm trying to say. It's the automatic, the the, the five people in the world that you get a free pass for if suddenly, somehow, an opportunity oh, on arises. Yeah. On the list, on the list. Uh, Charlie Day is, is up there on my list of people I want to make a movie or a TV show so that I can see Charlie Day do a part in anything that I've, any, that I, Anything has anything to do with me, that would make me a very, 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 very happy human. That is our cast. Uh, hey, we're going to talk a little bit about... Now, Jackie Robinson, of course, many think of him as the first black player in baseball, but that's not true, is it, A? So, yeah, not in the, the current era of the major league. That's not true, I don't think. And, and it's interesting. We're going to talk a little bit about um, African-Americans... Uh, breaking very short we're going to go this very quick breaking into sports which seems like it's unfair to say because they weren't breaking into sports they were just finally being allowed to play in the same league they already had long and storied careers in their other in, in the negro leagues which mm-hmm. is crazy pants but we're still going to talk about it because uh yes you're right people kind of look at Jackie Robinson as as the person who broke the color barrier mm-hmm. which means he broke the color barrier right if we all think oh yeah Jackie Robinson first black man in in baseball he was right but uh, that said, he wasn't. Now that we can relearn history and relearn that there was uh, M- Moses Fleetwood, um, Moses Fleetwood. Moses Walker. Fleetwood Walker was the first Amer- African American to play pro baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it was six decades before Jackie Robinson, yeah. which is when you think about the fame of Jackie Robinson and how important this moment was in American history and sports history. That's crazy. Yeah. He actually debuted in May, in what was Major League Baseball at the time on May 1st, 1884. He often caught uh, barehanded and he played without a chest protector. Um, and I'm not sure. Yeah, I, didn't I, think know that, that. I think that might be how baseball was. back. Oh, then, we though. did notice during this movie that uh, human beings in general were stupid back then. Because it took well, a, human it, beings playing sports for other people were it, stupid back it, then. It took it took until I it was until Jackie Robinson got beamed in the head in the game that I was like, oh, oh, they're not wearing batting helmets. So, of course, the batting helmet has been a part of baseball since I've been playing baseball. Mm-hmm. So continue. I just want to point that out. Yeah. Uh, he hit an impressive 263 in 42 games and uh, surpassed the the league batting average that season by 23 points. When he played, there were Jim Crow laws. So when he went to different towns, they spiked him, they spit on him, they did everything they could. There was an open discrimination and he still played. That is a quote from um, Representative Michael Ashford of Toledo, Ohio, who is the minority whip in the Ohio State House of Representatives, who also in April 2000 petitioned the city council of Ashford or petitioned the city council and got um, Moses Fleetwood Walker Plaza um, being the entrance gate to the mud hens, the AAA mud. Oh, hens, nice. Which feed in. That's so lovely. That's it's really kind of lovely. walking back some of that, um, that, you know, there, there's nothing, you can't take anything away from Jackie Robinson, but at the same time you can start to recognize well, Mo- that, Moses, that, that we need to relearn some history. Moses had to be a beast too. Cause you look at what Jackie Robinson went through 60 years after Moses. So there had been social progress. There had been change. And Mo- <laughs> oh, man. Moses must have gone through some shit. I mean, and honestly, if you think about it, and I am so, like ter- tertiary to this whole situation. But if you think about like really real time sports today, say the Chiefs game and the moment of unity and that kind of thing. Right. Here we are. Oh yeah, my well, goodness, yeah, 120 yeah. years later, and it's still kind of like, can you imagine what that guy had to do it, to get on the field been, every day? It must have been, been a, super crazy. Just just incredible, incredible Which stunt. to me, to anybody who's like me, who grew up as a not sports fan, yep. and, said, and, and had any kind of vibe ever that like, I mean, it's just a game. Mm. Dude, it's business. Well, of course it With is. With human beings. But it's also a game. It is. But it's a business it's a social contract. It's a social interaction. It's, it's a, it's absolutely a, it's a way for humans to interact with each other. And so, like, I feel like it was unfair for me to be twenty something. Like, I don't care about sports. It's just ah, that's no sort of thing. Because I disagree. People like Moses, people like Jackie Robinson, they literally risked their lives for that game. And uh, just to catch you up, of course, I a football fan, as you can see, I have my. Uh, a, my OG Kraken's Rookie Tour t-shirt on, which some people watching may actually still have one. I can fit mine again after I've dropped 20 mm. pounds. Uh, the NFL originated in 1869. During the early years, blacks were banned from the NFL due to due to segregation. Is that right, 1869? I mm. think that's right. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, that's what you told me. Uh, I'm going to look. That's We have clearly made a mistake because the NFL was founded in the back of an auto dealership. And I guess there would not be auto dealerships in 1869. He's going to look it up real quick because we goofed that up. The first known black man to play pro football was Charles Follis with the Shelby Athletic Club in 1902. Yet pro football is around. The NFL is not around. Yeah, that's it. 
Yeah, so pro football. football was old, and the NFL came in August 1920. 1920, there we go. When Foles retired from pro football in 1906, he was replaced the same year by Charles Baker, who also played two seasons as a running back with the Akron Indians. In 1933, after 31 years of limited integration, the NFL banned black athletes from participating in league play. So after 31 years of some le- limited level of integration, the NFL's like, guess what, blacks? You can't be here no more. Awesome. And then when the NFL is reintegrated in 1946, black players made an immediate impact, leading to teams, leading their teams in most statistical categories, starting with the Rams. Back to uh, Mr. Robinson, 1947 Brooklyn Dodgers. So the 1947 Brooklyn Dodgers turns out like the uh, movie itself ends at the moment that the, the 1947 Brooklyn Dodgers win the pennant. <clears throat> They go on to play the New York Yankees in that World Series, and they don't win. But no one cares. No it's, one it's cares. Bunk. If it was, if they had known Hollywood is a thing, it would have won a gosh darn World Series. I'm upset. Hey, well, but here's what's lovely about movie magic, right? Like that movie, this movie that we just watched is super powerful. And of course, movies are nothing but another form of communication, right? We have radio, which is you creating the scene in your own head. That follows on live sermons, live storytelling, live plays, that kind of thing. And then we go to um, um, uh, uh, radio where you create the thing in your own head. And then we go to silent photo, uh, silent movies where you read the vibe mm-hmm. on cards. Right. And this is one of those moments of movie magic where uh, you learn a lot about the past w- w- and there's a certain obligation to not reveal the future of that either, right? So the the real, true, beautiful story of 42 is getting Jackie Robinson to a moment where he's undeniably He made it. He belongs. That's that's the point right. of the movie. Is he, he made he it, made he belongs, it he's, and he's accepted. The, he's accepted, right. Yeah, okay. He still faces, there's still challengers, there's still all, all, all sorts of stuff. The team doesn't win the, win the series, they win the, the pennant, their league pennant, but that's it. It was a much um, bigger deal back then to win the pennant, huge. It's still a huge deal, right? Like if you, I mean, you would like, obviously you want to win the World Series, the, the, the Super Bowl, you want to win the top thing in your sport, right. but at the same time, there's not a single person who has won a pennant and doesn't get a free beer at a bar. Oh, I, I would agree. You know that. what I mean? And so this is kind of an interesting thing because the the movie itself has two beautiful, at least two beautiful moments. That's one of it. It literally ends right when he's accepted. He's earned his place. There's no denying that. And he's still on the baseball field. And it's gorgeous. But they go on they not, went, uh, not to actually win the pennant. But he Are did eventually win a series. World Series. Robinson helped the Dodgers to six Six pennants. They played in six World Series, and they did win the 1955 World Series championship. And as I mentioned earlier... In uh, 1997, they retired the number 42. The Major League Baseball retired his uniform number across all Major League teams, and he was the first professional athlete in any sport to be so honored. Later, uh, the NHL, the National Hockey League, also retired across all teams Wayne Gretzky's number. That's impressive. The Major League Baseball organization also adopted a new annual tradition, Jackie Robinson Day, for the first time on April 15th, 2004, on which every player on every team wears the number 42. It's so so cool. So dope. So straight dope. Uh, So... And then we were talking, of course, of oh, yeah. how this leads to... Yeah, the, we how, mentioned it earlier. Like, yeah. I we I stopped the movie a couple of times. I asked Scott to stop the movie a couple of times because things that characters in the movie said resonate. Uh, I've been on, what, at dozens and dozens of book tours, uh, convention appearances, workshop appearances, all things like that with uh-huh. Scott. And 
the characters literally said almost verbatim things that Scott talks about when people say like, gosh, for a writer, you seem very sports invested or why sports or why football or what made you choose football for such a writer? Because those two worlds are a little kind of separate, like the geek you say all the time, you're like you have one foot in the half world, half geek, half jock. And so I found that super relevant because I was doing that. I was engaging with this movie as a movie geek and not really a sports person since I didn't play a lot of sports. Oh, good point. But hearing again and again and again the same things that Scott had said a hundred times to me, you know, or to to crowds, like you realized how integrative and... This this, uh, Jackie Robinson story, and aside from this movie, which I loved and thought was wonderful was uh, I grew up, I have to talk about this, I grew up in basically all white northern Michigan. Our minorities were Polish. That was our minority, was the Polish people. Um, and the first time I ever, when I was a little, little kid, I lived in Benton Harbor, Michigan, which is a majority black community. But I, I have very, very, very few memories of that. And we wound up moving to northern Michigan. So my dad coached football at Sheboygan High School and uh, grew up in an all-white community. And it's one of those things you don't realize you're in an all-white community, but you are. And the first time in my memory as a fully formed human being of even uh, being in the same place with a, with a black person was on the football field against Jackson Northwest my sophomore year in football. Uh, Jackson Northwest drove up to play us in football. And uh, was on the field against a bunch of black kids, and that was the first experience. And that that stuck in my head. I'm like, well, this doesn't. How, how can it? How can this be? I see black people on TV all the time. How come I have never run into them before? And that carried with me until uh, I started working on the rookie. And the big thing with the rookie was, I watched shows like Star Trek, like everybody else, and you watch shows where <clears throat> different races of sentient beings are interacting perfectly calm, perfectly relaxed with each other. And I, even from an early age, I said, I I called Bupkis. Like, this is not how we can barely get along with each other now. And we look almost exactly the same. What's it going to be like when we have a thing that's like more like half grasshopper, half octopus and a quarter possum. Like we're not going to get along. It's the quarter possum is what it is. You just don't get along with quarter possum people. And that then led to with my sports experiences in high school and college started to realize Sports is this amazing, integrative, equalizing force in Western culture. And as I learned more about Jackie Robinson, it occurred to me that Jackie Robinson putting on the Dodgers uniform was probably the first time that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of white Americans looked at a black man as something other than a black man because he wasn't really black anymore. He mm-hmm. was blue and white. He was Dodger blue and white. Yeah. He put on the uniform and that made a huge amount of difference for people 60 years earlier than I was, but with a background like mine and in all white communities and black people were this other, this other thing to see him knocking out singles and doubles, stealing bases and winning games for your tribe. And the tribe was the Dodgers. It was yeah, a huge it, moment it, in our history. And it creates, I think it creates a little dissonance that we all need whenever there's a moment where we we know for sure we're right we know we're 100 percent correct and then something happens and there's a little catch in your back of your head or in your throat where you're like oh, wait a minute there might be another answer and that we see that moment in the movie there's this gorgeous scene where there's a there's it's a dot it's a the brooklyn dodger stadium and there there's a guy in the crowd who 
also has his son there with him and like, yeah, it's opening day. It's opening day. Yay. Gosh, son, day. it's going to be. Golly, son, it's going to be so great. Gosh, Dan, and I'm sure glad to be here. Golly, son, I sure do love the, Do- the Dodgers. Gee whiz, they're grand. And and Jackie runs on the field and there are some boos, but neither <laughs> That actor of was these, pretty good. That, that actor was pretty good. Yeah. Neither the dad nor the kid boo right away. Like they're like, oh, they like, like, yay, Dot. Jake Robinson. Like they don't, they're not aggressively and outwardly complaining or racist, what we would, what is called racist. But um, what they do then is someone else starts to hurl racial, racial they slurs. jump on in. And, well, the dad jumps on in. So you see, it's this gorgeous scene because you see the dad like, baseball, yay! And you see the good the kid like, baseball, yay! And then somebody starts to say terrible things about Jackie Robinson and the dad kind of is like, oh, sh- that is my, oh, that's my job. Oh, blah, 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 blah. And the kid literally does this in the movie. He's like... He looks at, he looks at his dad like Reese. He looks at us. But he's trying to decide. This is a moment where he's trying to decide. Does he want his dad's blessing or does he want the whatever he has? And then he's like, ah, ugly racial things, you know. <laughs> and then uh, that's the scene that I mentioned earlier where Pee Wee comes, comes up and puts his arm around Jackie yeah, Robinson on the field and says this gorgeous thing, which I don't know if it is true in the movie. But um, he says, you know what? Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42 and then nobody will know what's you and what's me, which is. Which goes on to be a big thing. It, well, okay. It's very and, funny. And sounds super apocryphal, right? Like, because now that there's a 19, now that there's a 42 day. Yes. Um, so then everything kind of calms down because you can't really dog the Dodger you love, the white Dodger. And so then the kid is like, again, and that's, I think, how people sort yeah. of learn and grow and move and stuff. And uh, to sum up the impact that this story has on the GFL, I came up with the idea a long time ago of uh, when we do meet alien races, hopefully in our lifetime, but probably not. When we do, they will be hated and they will probably hate us because that is the uh, the prerogative of a dominant sentient race is to hate that which is different and kill it, take its resources. That's how we got here in the first place. But if there was a way for us to have a sport that we could play with the aliens, I think that would be a huge integrative Moment, And that is why the GFL that you read, uh, if you don't have players from all five, all five of the key races, which all key, all five of the major races, which all have a, a, a physiological advantage at one position or another. If you don't have all five, you're just not going to win ball games. You're not going to win. You're not going to move up to tier one. You're not going to win the Galaxy Bowl. And sports is about making money and you make money when you win games. So that is how Jackie Robinson's story became huge uh, influence in GFL. I think if we can ever play sports with aliens, that'll be one of the only ways that a lot of us accept it. And I have a uh, I have some things you might not know. Okay, quick. Before you do that, I'm going to take a quick break. If you guys have specific questions, you can ask them about anything. If you want them about 42, that would be, that or movies in general, or movies you'd like to see us watch, that would be great. But any questions are good. Anchor Pete asks, I want to get into the GFL books, especially the audiobooks. Where are you reading them? So you can get all of our audiobooks for the GFL at uh, Audible. You can get them at iTunes. You can get them at Amazon. Um, They are... All GFL stories are are Scott Sigler narrated and written. Um, once we're done with the GFL, I think that will be hard to do because he's got so many things on his plate. But right now, any GFL story that you buy from Audible, uh, Amazon, or iTunes is Scott Sigler 
narrated. If you buy them from Graphic Audio, that's a whole cast audio. They're fantastic. They're different. But you specifically asked about where you get them from Scott, and that's Audible, iTunes, or Amazon. That's right. Now, we're going to really quick go over. Uh, there was a lot. There, there was some ham and cheese sandwiches in this movie. There were some very sappy happy moments so we're going to cover those real quick then we're going to go uh richard allen if you didn't bring your own drinks to this party i don't know what to tell you sir but next time next time b-y-o-b or d is it bring oh bring your own beverages first of all in the movie had jackie robinson been arrested and court-martialed in the army yes this is true however the movie skewed it a little bit he was court-martialed because he would not uh he would not comply with going to the back of the bus, as explained in the movie, but he was subsequently acquitted of the charges and was given an honorable discharge. Mm-hmm. What does Jackie Robinson's widow, Rachel Robinson, think of 42 the movie? Uh, this information also is, also is from History versus Hollywood. They met February 10th, 46. They have three kids, had three kids. They met in UCLA in 1942 before the movie. She and her surviving children were trying to get this movie made, and it was very important to them when they read Brian Hegelin's script that they cast unknown actors. Because yeah. this is something I agree with. This is why the later Star Wars movies drove me crazy. She was pleased to say that she was pleased that they cast two unknown actors to play herself and Jackie, making the point that, quote, uh, it's still about an actor and not about the person he's playing necessarily when you cast a famous actor. So mm-hmm. they were happy that it was, at the time, the gentleman who had gone on to become Black Friggin' Panther was an unknown. Yeah, and I think it's super important, right? Because you're not, you, you're either choosing the, act. it's hard to say this correctly, but you're sort of either choosing the actor's ability to bring in the production team and the box office and the insurance and the get like Brad Pitt can make any movie he wants. N- uh, Jennifer Lopez can make an- any movie she wants. But Jennifer Lopez can't make Selena on her own, right? And Selena she made as a fairly unknown, not totally unknown, but fairly unknown. But she knew Selena really well. She knew the, the, the Puerto Rican-American culture really well. She knew all of those things. And I think those are a grace that sort of work together. Like we see that often where an unknown uh, including the the um, La Bamba. La Bamba did the same sort of thing, like created uh, people who had some character, some actor recognition, but really gave them a starring role. And I think that that does really help because you get the you get the oh, this is a hot young actor. They might be really good at their yeah. job. They're probably good at their job if that's the thing that if people are saying if they're about them. Bringing them. people to the box office, yeah. And then you put them in a power position, and every and a rising tide raises all ships. That's the hope, and I'm I'm kind of glad they did that. Did a reporter really help Jackie when he was brought into the Dodgers? Yes, Wendell Smith, who is portrayed by Andre Holland in the movie, was a sports writer for let's see here, um, the Pittsburgh Courier, a popular African American newspaper in the 30s and 40s. He was. This is this will also factor into the GFL and future books. Um, he's the one. Wendell Smith is the one who pointed out Jackie Robinson to Brooklyn's Brooklyn Dodgers general manager, Branch Rickey. Not only did Wendell uh, become Robinson's traveling companion, sometimes out of necessity as they both had to stay in segregated hotels, Smith was also the ghostwriter of Robinson's weekly 1947 newspaper column. In addition to Robinson, Wendell Smith recommended other standouts from the Negro Leagues, including Larry Dobby, Monty Irvin, and Roy Campanella. Why was the reporter 
so interested in helping Jackie Robinson? Well, I don't know. But in the movie, he talks a little bit about the fact that he is also segregated. Yep. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. It does. That was part of it. But this is uh, one of the things that would have been a delicious character point, but they apparently had to leave out. The real Wendell Smith was a ball player himself. He played as a teenager in the 30s and once threw a shutout in an American Legion game. After the game, a scout who had been in attendance told Smith that he wished he could sign him, but he couldn't because he was black. Instead, the scout signed the opposing pitcher. Mm. And and that's when Wendell said, quote, that's when I decided if I ever got into a position to do anything, I dedicate my life to getting Negro players into the big leagues, Smith said. Did Jackie Robinson... <laughs> this- this is like, oh, come on with the toss and the ball. Hey, kid, oh, toss this, the ball yeah, to the kid. This, are you talking about the scene at the end? Like, the okay, train so, scene. The yeah. train scene, yeah. Can I explain the scene first? Yeah. In case me, you haven't quick, seen it. Yeah, do it. So there's a scene where uh, Jackie's getting on a train to go train, uh, to go uh, do spring training. Um, and he walks out with his whole team to get on the train to go to Montreal, I think. And uh, turns around and tosses. There are three little uh, kids who are all black who... Uh, Turns around right when he gets on the bus and says, young man. And he tosses a baseball to this kid. And that kid's uh, name is something Charles. I don't know. But at the end Ed of the Charles. movie. Okay, at the end of the movie, there's a little title card that says that Ed Charles went on to play in the NFL. In the uh, MB, MLB. Major MLB. So this is where it's great because uh, I watched that scene and I'm like, oh my gosh, could this be any friggin' cheesier? There's no way this happened. There's no way that the kid who caught the ball chased down the train and put his ear on the track and said, I can still hear him. I can still like, come on, dude. And I just, it almost took me out of the movie. Here's the truth of the situation. You ready for this? Well, but it also said that he won. That's true. That's true. He was with the Mets. That's a true story. Here's where the story gets interesting. Uh, Ed Charles did not catch a ball. Jackie Robinson did not throw the ball to Ed Charles, which I was like, well, that probably happened. That's fine. What really happened was the super cheesy business where the kid put his ear on the railroad's high and said, I can hear him. Ed Charles never met Jackie Robinson, never caught the ball, but actually did hop a fence to put his ear on the train track (laughs) to be able to hear the train, the train that Jackie Robinson was on. Oh, I love that. That's ludicrous. Ludicrous. Uh, I'm kind of glad of that, It's super fun. I'm glad that the two totally unrealistic things are the true things. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then Ed Charles later said, quote, I sat in the segregated section of the ballpark and watched Jackie, and I finally believed what I read in the papers, that one of us had made it. Uh, When the game was over, we kids followed Jackie to the train station. When the train pulled out, we ran down the tracks, listening for the sounds as far as we could, and we couldn't hear it any longer. We stopped... And put our ears to the track so we could feel the vibrations of the train carrying Jackie Robinson. We wanted to be a part of him as long as we could. Ooh, mm. I'm verklempt. Yeah. We'll go through these real quick because we're coming up in an hour and that's too long for us. Did some of the players really start a petition against Jackie Robinson? Yes. During training camp, teammate Dixie Walker instigated a petition against Jackie Robinson. Thought it was supposed to... Though it was supported by some of the players, others like Pee Wee Reese refused to sign it. Quote, it didn't matter to me whether he was black or green, Reese later said. He had a right to be there too, end quote. Interestingly, though, it isn't in the movie, it isn't, it isn't Pee Wee who says like, if he can beat me, I don't, I don't care what color he is. No, that he can was. Beat me. That oh, was, it was Pee Wee. Absolutely, okay, was Pee-wee. okay, good, good, good. And then um, two more. Did the real Jackie Robinson smash his bat in private after enduring racial insults from manager Ben Chapman and the Phillies team? 
No. In researching the true story, it became clear this scene was pure Hollywood. And uh, Branch, Branch Ricky did not have to go give Jackie Robinson a pep talk in in the uh, the we'll entrance to the here. dugout uh, after Jackie Robinson smashed a bat. But it was still a pretty good scene. And finally, uh, was Philly's manager, Ben Chapman, really asked to pose with Jackie Robinson for a photo op? And as we have covered, yes, let me see if I have a little thing in it real quick. I do not. That is all. Ladies and gentlemen. that that was true. Yes. So I think we're going to wrap it up for now, uh, you guys. We um, are super glad that you guys joined Thank us. Thank you for joining. It's super fun. If you haven't watched this movie and you've just watched this very spoilery sto- story smack, I, I think it, it's, it's, it's good. I think you should watch it. Right? I think it's sappy, it's, but it's sappy with all the right reasons. It's, it's, it's sappy, yes. It's also mostly accurate. And it, this is, I've said it before in this cast, I will repeat it many times, this is a critical, critical, huge moment in U.S. and world history. It changed the face of sports forever. Would this moment have come eventually? Yes, it would. Did it come because of Jackie Robinson at that point in time? Yes, it did. This was a great human who did a great thing and his supporting cast around him, Branch Rickey, his wife, everybody else were, were huge, were integral in this moment and uh, cannot say enough about this as a historical moment. If you're a sports fan, uh, it is without par. There is mm-hmm. nothing even close to it. And the movie did a really good job and also Black Panther. <laughs> so somebody asked a question. I'm not sure who was it. I think Bill, maybe O'Connor asked, uh, do we think that although Chadwick Boseman hit it out of the park with this, is this his his defining moment? And I would say I think so. this was a go- he, he was an enormously talented actor. He was. And it's a shame that we've lost him so young. But I honestly think Black Panther will always be his legacy. Yeah. I think uh, because of Black Panther, more people will learn about Chadwick Boseman and have less uh, derisive things to think about baseball, which is a person they'll, like So me. they'll come at 42 the other they'll way. They'll come at 42 the other way, oh, and they'll wow. learn that baseball was integrative and important, and sports are integrative and important because it's the way people interact with each other when they can't use swords and, and fist fights and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's not a thing I, I, I'll be honest, I literally ever thought about as a youngster because I never got to play sports. So I agree. I think I they're think both important. Black Panther will be his, uh, his defining moment. So uh, I think next week we're going to, or the next Story Smack, which is going to be on September 26th. It's two weeks from today, 2 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, It's September 26th. It's my big brother's birthday. And we're going to probably watch Cards of Destiny or whatever. Cards, uh, Hands of Destiny. Hands of Destiny. Hands of Destiny. It is a uh, Dead Gentleman production. And they also made... um, Darkness Rising, Darkness which we've covered Rising, earlier, which I love so much. So we're going to go, <laughs> we're going to go from very heavy, very serious melodramatic coverage over a major historical moment to a fictitious movie about a bunch of nerds playing a card game because one of them wants to date a girl who's playing, who's good at the game. That's where we're going to. And I think that does it for episode 55 of Story Smack. Uh, you can find Scott and I online, obviously. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter. He is at Scott Sigler on Instagram, and he's at Scott Sigler on Twitch and YouTube as well. Correct. Correct. Uh, I am at a real girl on Twitter and at a dot real dot girl on Instagram. 
Um, and you can find us online at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, wherever, story smack, excuse me, wherever you're watching this right now, we are there. We also have a, we do a uh, Sigler in place live stream every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific time, 9 p.m. Eastern, 1 a.m. GMT. My we, goodness. What? 1 a.m. GMT. 1 a.m. GMT. We talk about all things us and all things me and all things my books. And it's very fun. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, that's twice weekly on Tuesdays and Thursdays at any day that starts with a T. Um, and then we release unabridged episodes of the serialized version of whatever story we're doing right now, which it's is the Nocturnal 2008 throwback. Nocturnal throwback. We're on episode, we're coming up on episode 32. You can subscribe to that. com slash subscribe. It's free content. It's unabridged. It's for your face. <laughs> we hope you can subscribe so that you can hear Scott's books and more story smack in the future. Uh, and then until next episode, we will talk to you all real, real soon. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.